Podcast. Hold on to your butts. We are changing the course of history as we see it. That is what Westcott demands. Now this affects Iris. Um, Iris, where are you? What you feel only matters to you. I do not entertain hypotheticals. The world as it is is vexing enough. Iris, I have a tip for you. Don't take drugs! Or Whatever Movies with Wesley and Iris. What up and welcome to Or Whatever Movies. I'm your co-host Iris and I'm here with my older brother. Wesley. And today we're discussing a movie from 2022. Airbnb Presents Barbarian. It's Home Away. Home Away Presents. See, we could have done that. They had Home Away. Home Away could have double booked. Why in the world would Airbnb allow for its name to be dropped? There are vacation home owners, there are rental property owners that utilize multiple services, including VRBO, HomeAway. What's that other, like, couch-surfy, home-swappy one? I don't know. I tend to play it safe and do hotels when I can. (laughs) There wasn't one hotel room in the massive city of Detroit near the location of her actual interview? I guess not. I mean, just as a self-preservation method for this very nice lady Tess, you would think that all alone in the burned out shell that was suburban Detroit, she would opt for something with a little bit more safety. But she didn't know. She didn't know that Barbary Street, she had no idea that it was like blighted and completely deserted. (laughs) That was really creepy. It's raining and it's dark. There's no key. She's standing on the porch. And then she just happens to look up and down the street. And there's nary a single light on on the entire block. That's creepo. Yep. And so I got Kelly to watch this movie. I've seen it twice. And I said to her, I don't think that's like a scary movie thing. (laughs) I think that's just Detroit. I've seen documentaries to suggest that it that there are some places that are that bad. But the house was cute. That's what's important for an Airbnb or a home away. It was like lemon yellow or sunshine yeah, yellow. Ladies see that and they're like, I'm about it. I don't care about the neighborhood. Yeah, but why did Tess need a three-bedroom Airbnb? Probably because it was ultra affordable. As Justin Long's accountant said, or AJ's accountant, it t- brings in a little bit of money, but it's not significant. Oh, man. I think he was his financial wealth manager. Yeah. And that look that he gives him when he's like, by the way, which I told Justin Long's like, I totally didn't do it. And the wealth manager gives him this look that made me bark out loud. This movie, I think, wasn't, I mean, to start with, at least, wasn't this movie all about looks? The first 30 minutes of the movie, weren't you intensely (laughs) focused on all of those looks? I was so fixated on Bill Skarsgård. We know he's Pennywise. I was so fixated on Pennywise. That was such brilliant casting. And what a brilliant misdirect. I was like, he has, he's Pennywise. He has to be bad. So I'm scrutinizing every (laughs) moment, every motion, every inflection, every tone, every look, everything, everything about him. I'm like, what's the tell? How is he going to reveal himself as being the ultimate creepo and the barbarian, the titular (laughs) barbarian? And titular has a totally double entendre in this movie. (laughs) Bill Sarsgaard, actually a producer on this movie. 
So he pulled a Samuel L. Jackson, Deep Blue Sea, uh, spoiler. But uh, yeah, I did the same thing. And the, our director seemed to intimate that because this film started out as a short film. It was targeted at around 30 minutes, basically the first act that we get in Barbarian as we know it of a woman who continually ignores uh, a mounting array of red flags from a dude. But he said that most men wouldn't grasp these things. And yet I was watching, you know, for her safety or whatever, I was watching everything, every move that he made. Oh, he's blocking her way too much from leaving. And she's <sighs> obviously upset. I definitely noticed those things. Uh, so much so that when they're comparing phone numbers, and they're like, oh, yeah, three, two, three, four. And he like trails off. And he's like, yeah, that's the one. It's like, that's not enough. That's not enough digits. You didn't match her. You know, <laughs> you're just playing along. He needs to go first with the number. Right. I was like, what hint did she drop or what information could he have gleaned that would have given him the lead to like play into her jazz community? story like was he really a part of the lion tamers or did he like prepare that answer when he gleaned information from her yeah he's like a fortune like a murder fortune teller <laughs> where he reads her tells and then manifests it and gets her to drink the tainted wine oh my god Tess, that's a pretty name yeah and then he was like and then he goes just look at you you're and then you know he's gonna say pretty but then he like says something about her career I don't think Heath was involved in any level, but you can only definitively say that, I think, when he gets his head made into a mashed potato. So th then I started to examine the secondary stuff, like knowing upon second viewing, knowing that he's not the bad guy. Then you watch and to see how much of it is really genuine, how how oblivious he might have been to Tess's plight. Like you're a lady does him alluding to the fact that he could have tainted the wine unless it's opened in front of her. Was that second level sweetness and consideration or did that just add to the creep? It totally added to the creep. Like he's all self-aware of the awkwardness of it. And well, I don't know. It could really go, go both ways. Like I felt like he was he was trying to, like you said, in hindsight, Right after he gets murdered, brutally murdered by the barbarian, you're like, okay, he was he was he was well meaning and intention the entire time. But it's a little creepy. Like he he's like, I noticed you didn't drink your tea, and then he's like continuously trying to get her to drink the wine, and it's like that's just a bad idea, like to drink a bottle of wine with a complete stranger. But I have to say, once they once she let down her guard and they got to talking, I was all wrapped up in this meet cute. And when he's, when he's doing the duvet trick, the duvet life hack, <laughs> I was like chortling and Brian's trying to do some work and he's like, what, what is it? What? And I was like, something really bad is going to happen. <laughs> I was just too happy and my, and I had let my guard down and I just knew that everything was going to go wrong. It was just, it lulled us into a sense of, I mean, the movie's called Barbarian, for God's sake. But I gently coerced Kelly Ray into watching it. This is not her jam. And I looked over during the duvet ghost scene because there was obviously a couple of things happening there. He's revealing himself as the ghost. And then he's doing the cute thing with the duvet where he just happens to look like a Charlie Brown Halloween ghost. And I looked over at Kelly because she's really the litmus, right? If, if... 
if she's creeped out, then it's not going to, then this moment's not going to work. And she was beaming. She thought it was the cutest thing ever. She didn't say it, but she was smiling in the middle of a horror movie after 25 minutes of thinking that dude is definitely the murderer. I was beaming too, but I was also half expecting that this was the moment where he's like, put the corners in my hands. I was 100% thinking that's the moment he's going to bag her, right? Right. He's going <laughs> to bag her in the duvet. He's going to wrap her up and he's going to take her to the second location and all hell's going to break loose. Yep. This movie is very carefully constructed. Either you're watching every move he makes, listening to every inflection of their dialogue, or you're like, this is boring. When do we get to the barbarian? And I think because most <laughs> of us were in the former camp, we didn't anticipate like, I had no clue, didn't know what this movie was about, uh, didn't see so much as a trailer. I saw good reviews and a weird red poster, and I was like, let's see Barbarian while it's still in theaters. And I'm not 100% sure this movie knew where it was going. Like I said, it was constructed as a 30-minute piece and then became something else. And I think those those seams are pretty apparent. Like, it gets shocking. And then we're in Malibu for like a half an hour. <laughs> you know, it felt a little industry insider to go to like a television director or at least a television pilot director. But the Me Too thing is very top of mind. And I guess his story was interesting in and of itself. The connection with AJ's home in Detroit was pretty tenuous, but his story in and of itself, I guess, was interesting. And you know that this douche is going to get his comeuppance, right? There's no other fate for AJ than to get eaten by the barbarian. <laughs> and so I'm just waiting for that. I don't know. Should rapists be sentenced to like death by barbarian? Like, is that a fair <laughs> sentence? <laughs> <Is> that... <laughs> I don't want to necessarily comment on the rape allegation or whatever, because he, he did seem like, oh, I knew I did a bad thing and now it's coming to roost. He was thoroughly confused. And obviously he's no stranger to the drink and he makes bad decisions when he's drunk. I.e. calling, leaving the voicemail that he was explicitly told not to leave. Yes. So he's obviously an idiot. I think he was genuinely surprised. Like, wait, she's saying I raped her or whatever. But he just seems like a, like a, a hapless dumb dude who makes bad choices or whatever. But I wonder, was there no turn for AJ at all in your mind? He shoots her. That's exactly what I would have done creepy woman standing in the doorway and I just saw the dude shoot himself and I have a gun, I absolutely would have shot her. And we saw that coming a mile away. But he then picks her up at his own peril. He could have left her and gets her outside and, and helps her limp down the street or whatever. Uh, then he throws her off the water tower. But was there a moment where you were like, oh, I hope AJ kind of makes it because he helps her. Nothing. It's not that he's he's not immoral or amoral. It's like basically human behavior, I've come to realize, is kind of on the same grading scale as like grades, as like school grades. Like a C or a D is like 60 or 70 percent. Like you're failing when you're doing. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying here? Even above the line in our rating system, if it clears muster with a 60 percent or Rebecca's <laughs> 37 Seven, out of 17 out of 30. stars or whatever, it's still a failing grade. I understand. <laughs> yeah, he fails like he's a failure at 60 percent decency. Like that's just human helping the person you just shot out of the death hall. Right. So you can throw them in the in the path of the barbarian later. Yeah, exactly. He's just he's just got to keep the bait around. So 
you know, I and I hoped for him. I really did when he was having that moment by the fire. Like, okay, at least there can be awareness about the reality of his character. But then he throws her off the water tower, <laughs> which he did almost automatically. Like that's where you when you really know about someone's ca- character. It wasn't premeditated. This was like his default automatic response. Yeah. I can save my. I can make it. You just have to stall her. Yeah, that's the bear survival tactic. And tying it, as we do with all movies, to Top Gun Maverick, he didn't think. He just did. Seriously? Yep. Don't think, just do. Only applies to if you're of good moral character. Is (laughs) is that the case? (laughs) Because that was a bad moral decision. Yes. But but a surprisingly moral decision on behalf of Barbarian Mommy, who flung herself off the water tower to to save her baba. Oh, you mean the Matrix reloaded, jumping off the building, somehow passing her in midair and using her body to cushion the landing? Well, so-and-so says that all objects fall at the same rate, but the barbarian had some heft. So look, so she's denser? <laughs> <laughs> so she plummeted and was able to get underneath Baba before they both hit the ground. But there was definitely head blood on the concrete. Like, oh, yeah. I don't know but how it, anyone survived It doesn't that. matter. It's video game head blood because mom is okay. What happens is AJ tosses Tess off the water tower unceremoniously. Mom sees Tess going, sees her baby go over the edge, albeit in slow motion, reacts immediately, takes herself to the edge, leaps face forward, presumably in midair uh, with you know better acceleration, passes Tess in the air, grabs a hold of her, turns and cushions Tess's landing with her body and head whereon she splats on the ground. How that happened, I don't know. I was confused in the theater. It was no more of a liberty than doors opening and closing on their own volition for no reason. These massive catacomb structures underneath suburban Detroit. It, there were so many unexplained things in this movie that I wouldn't <laughs> I wouldn't even begin to take umbrage with the mommy cannonball to save baby. And so then we have to get to the second half of Barbarian because we are watch- we know these filmmakers are smart that the, the front half was so meticulously crafted that there was real depth and history to the characters. We never really found out the details, although she detailed them to Keith. We never found out what Tess's deal was with the, the boyfriend or whatever. AJ had a whole backstory that we never got to explore because, uh, you know, because the Barbarian really got into his head. And so carefully constructed, we know that they're aware and that no tricks were being played on us. We were carefully tracking everything. So then when it came to lapses and things, I was really confused. Like, wait, how did she take AJ away? Did she climb up with one hand and drag him through the hole? Did we find out why she had super strength? Inbreeding. That's what it is? Yeah. No, it wasn't cardio. It wasn't resistance training. (laughs) The explanation was Creepo had kept women and then bred the women and then bred with the women's offspring, his own offspring. Yeah. And so she was a product of inbreeding, at least according to the hobo. Can you say hobo? He was unhoused. According to the unhoused. The unhoused uh, Samaritan. But he wasn't really unhoused. He he, He lived at the water tower for 15 years. Yeah, in his secure thing where Barbarian didn't go until she came Kool-Aid manning through the freaking wall <laughs> and tore him apart. Dude, when you accept, when you separate Mama Bear from Baby Bear, she'll break through any obstruction. <laughs> just getting to, yeah, she doesn't come here. I've been here for 15 oh. years. I know. Bam. And he's gone. 
So I remember, remember when we saw Cabin in the Woods with Dad in the theater? Vaguely. Way, way back when. Anyway, Drew Goddard and Joss Whedon co-wrote that movie. And it was said that they would take scenes and go off. They like sequestered themselves in a house and went to write scenes and then came back together and put it together and had a movie. And in a way... Cabin in the Woods is similar in that it goes way out. Like you, th you go in thinking it's a thing and it becomes a different thing. And it's not to say that one wrote the front half and one wrote the back half. But I, I feel like that was it was very clear to me. I, he I heard that it was originally envisioned as a, as a 30 minute short film, which is basically the first third. But it felt like two different movies. It felt kind of disparate. And then tonally. And Zach Kreger, who uh, wrote and directed this movie, even said that he wanted it to be David Fincher upstairs and Sam Raimi downstairs. And that's a decided shift, not only in the story and the character, but in the tone. Because nothing, I don't think, was a cheat. Maybe just like gravity-wise, uh, the door sticks when you open it, and then that stick releases, and it just gently closes by itself. I don't know that it was spiritual. We noted every time Tess locked the door. Good girl, locked the door in the bathroom, in the bedroom. You don't know this weird dude anything. Until the meet-cute happened with a duvet, and it looked like they were going to make out, but they didn't. And then Kelly Ray was like, that's the first time she didn't lock the door so it makes oh, sense yeah. uh the barbarian didn't come in magically or whatever how she crept around when she's all dirty and and smelly and and snarling i'm not sure how nobody noticed but still it wasn't a cheat it wasn't a cheat why was he having a fever dream because he was he was psychologically processing the fact that his body was uncomfortable that it was a, a weird situation he was on guard and he had to sleep on a couch maybe stirring of loins Maybe he's a restless sleeper. Uh, I got nothing. Maybe mom came and put her boob in his mouth and he subconsciously <laughs> reacted to that. Wasn't it wonderful? Wasn't it delightful when the tables turned and he was like, you scared the S out of me. Why did you do that? And he's like all mad at her. <laughs> it's true. He's now scared of her. I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> but when he's, when he, it, what sealed the deal for me even before he got his head bashed in was the little note. And like her response to the note. I mean, maybe there was just like a minor undertone of discomfort that I was still unsettled about their relationship. But she was digging him and he was digging her. Yeah. It could have been a wonderful thing. And I honestly feel like the second time when she's waiting for her job interview and she pulls up her, his driver's license, it wasn't to confirm or double check anymore. Now she's like, if this dude gets away, I know how to contact him. Yeah. And like, I just want to see his face one more time. Right. That's how the second one <laughs> didn't she like caress the phone screen with her thumb over his face. <laughs> What I didn't understand, and maybe this is just the moral character of a heroine, but what I didn't understand was her insistence on helping AJ. Like, she didn't know that dude. She didn't owe him anything. Like, why was she so insistent about going back in? You don't go back in to the horror house. I think it was to illustrate how terrible the police in Detroit are, as portrayed in this movie. And here's a weird thing, because I'm no, like, thin blue line dude or whatever. But in a way, like, I, I couldn't help but think, because I was like, the cops in this movie are so maddening. But they also clearly thought she was a crackhead rambler. And, and what they were saying on the surface was legit, I guess. 
Ma'am, we don't see anything. This house is locked. This is a nice house. Uh, you broke a window. That's the only crime. But we're not going to bust down the door because you say there are hidden monster catacombs down there. <laughs> but to just like leave and her to be like, take me downtown or whatever. Do whatever you got to do. But there's a dude in there who's about to be murdered. Yeah, it, 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 we were so in it with Tess that I think we kind of just distrusted everybody else. But also, it's Detroit. Can you imagine how terrible it would be to be a cop in Detroit? Well, in general, it's a tough job and these days pretty pretty thankless, unfortunately. I would be annoyed if Kelly went for work and was in a crappy neighborhood on a completely desolate street. I'd be like, what are you doing? But that's totally something you would do. You'd be like, it was affordable and it's totally cute. <laughs> And I can't save you, man, but I, I totally put you in Tess's shoes. I don't know that I agree with Kelly that I would have that Tess made every decision I would have made. Well, I'm saying it wasn't a scary movie written by a dude cheat to Kelly Ray. Like we were she we were definitely on edge, but I don't know that she was annoyed that the female character made ultra dumb decisions in this movie. Other than going back for AJ. I don't think that she made bad decisions. And this was long before that at this point. I honestly think that this was when she opened when she first opened the basement door, when she found the rope and did the rope pull. That's when Kelly went to the bathroom and we paused it and she said, she's done everything I would have done so far. And then that very rapidly changed when she <laughs> found the second door. Uh, well, was it the first or the second door where she pulled a, um... a Jordan Peele? A Jordan Peele. Was it the first or second door where she pulled a Jordan Peele? That was the very first door. Total darkness. Can't see anything before she positioned the mirror. So maybe if I like sat and so she waited and there was no sound coming from there or whatever. The room, uh, the light wasn't on in the room down there or anything. But that second door down into the catacombs, like man or woman, company or no company, you could not. I don't care who's screaming down there. <laughs> I mean, I guess if it was someone that I cared about or knew, but you couldn't have paid me to descend those crusty steps. Her love, the love of her life, the the serendipitous love of her life was saying, <laughs> help me. No, help there was me. an, at that point, we figured that she had a crush on Keith or was interested in Keith. We still had way more negative questions, way too many red flags to assume that he was totally innocent and in need of actual help like it wasn't until he literally had his head bashed in that you stopped believing that he was luring her he, right and when he was like no no we have to go this way because that way the way to exit and salvation is where that was where she was no don't be lit, led into the darkness i screamed when he came crawling out of the dude darkness. that was like classic movie chills where i like froze up scared the bejesus out of me more more so than him getting killed and mom screeching at her yeah oh yep. man way and more all the natural lighting and only lit by you know the the backlight or the the light in the room with the creepy vhs and the cell phone light and stuff all that was great because it was real there was there were no lights under there they built that cavern thing in on a soundstage but you couldn't see anything and when he came out of the darkness i was like yeah and then <laughs> oh my God. and it's right and when AJ's measuring tape just got whisked away into the darkness and that paid off later because that was the sound that tipped off mom when Tess tripped over it. It was great. Yes, it did. It was a great plant and payoff. And how and what a funny way to get through that additional 
exposition for the AJ character. We've already explored the catacombs, or at least we've already gone as far as as Justin goes. And so to get us through that with humor was really brilliant. Like he's like he's like, oh my god. And then you realize in his twisted mind that he's actually excited about the additional square footage. <laughs> right. And measuring He's not scared. He's just like, dude, my house is way bigger. Because he really needs the money. And I was confounded by what I considered to be a little nothing movie that drew, that drew expertly on our expectations and our premeditations of suspense where we're watching everything that, that Tess and Keith are doing. And then going to this incredibly expensive and possibly unnecessary uh, creepy dude storyline in 80s Detroit where all of a sudden the houses are pristine. They had period cars everywhere. The The grocery store and all that stuff it seemed just kind of unnecessary like if we had flashed mm. to him knocking on that lady's door in coveralls and she's wearing an like an 80s dress or whatever then i could have seen mm. it and maybe some 80s decor but mm. i wonder because i didn't care about that character at all i understood mm. it for the for the background of the mom but i'm not sure that it justified it because of how quickly he went like why did they, mm. why did he choose that moment to commit suicide as opposed to killing mm. AJ? So AJ watched whatever creepy VHS he had in the player, which he didn't seem like he was getting out of bed much. So mom must be putting in the VHSs for him of his murders, must be bringing him water and food and stuff and changing his bedpan because he didn't seem very ambulatory. And then he pulled out the no. gun, and I guess that AJ was going to turn him in, like, you know, what's wrong with you? What the hell is wrong with you? And was going to, gonna you know, ring the alarm on him. So he had a couple choices. He could shoot AJ, which I'm frankly not sure, not sure why he didn't. And then ultimately he took himself out. That's the only way I can reckon this other character of Frank. Yeah, the Frank storyline is quite curious, because like you, I didn't really care about him it was a lot of work to establish the what essentially boiled down to the barbarian's backstory. Right, which we got from Unhoused Man. Exactly. It seemed to me that uh, AJ's purpose in Frank's storyline was to bring that little dresser bedside table over to him so that he could get the gun, get his uh -huh. hands on the gun, since he wasn't mobile, and to end his misery. So it, so it seemed like he was both prisoner and baby or son to his daughter's <laughs> daughter daughter but i think that frank's real purpose is to is to help with this movie's underlying question or theme which is what is a monster is he the promising young woman villain is it the mutant monster who just wants to take care of its baby like the misguided <laughs> mutant monster that wants to be a mom like, what is a monster? And I think that Frank Frank's purpose is to fill out that lineup. I think they should have called this movie Millennial Paranoia in general. <laughs> Barbarian was a weird word. Definitely a weird word. I was like, this is either an action movie or a horror movie. I think it has something to do with Barbary Street. And so the barbarians were called that because they came from an area that they that the, the other people had called the Barbary Coast. And that really is the only basis. And in this movie, it's the only basis for the title, Barbary Street, obviously. And thus anyone who would live on there, presumably Frank, was the barbarian, although the the daughter was definitely, mom was definitely the wild one. And so people had contacted 
the director and said, you know, that barbarian thing, I, I didn't understand the title, but it turns out it's really smart. 472 Barbary, that's the year that the barbarians invaded Rome. Barbarian, how, like, how did you figure that out? That barbarian was a was an anagram of Airbnb. And he's like, <sighs> I didn't know any of that. It was totally <laughs> random. And he needed a placeholder at the top of his screenplay. And he wrote barbarian. And then he became over time attached to it. It just takes on a life of its own, like Cloverfield. Like that, that was the name where the production offices were located in Santa Monica. And they were like, okay, I guess we should really title this movie. And, and by that time, it was just Cloverfield to everyone. Zach Krager should have completely taken credit for that. Right. He should have been like, oh, yeah, I'm, kudos to you to figuring that one out. Exactly. <laughs> I'm actually writing a secret promotion. You get movie pass, like, you know, free passes for, I've been waiting for someone to discover that. That just shows what an honest, good guy he is and why he could write such a compelling character like <laughs> Keith. It seemed like there were strange choices made that were that it just fell into horror tropes. I will say the music was astounding to me. I thought it was just so perfectly in line, this horror synth kind of vibe that, that was so reminiscent of the 80s. Very Stranger Things. Um, I thought the cinematography was great. It, it was ter terrifying. Uh, e even in the, the innocuous staging uh, upstairs, just everything felt menacing and, and nearly perfect. And then they went with a very not perfect monster who was played by a dude, by the way. I, I don't know why that's fascinating to me, but it was. I don't know. It was just such a curious movie because Eric, who I went to see in the theater, he said, dude, I think I'm immune to horror movies or I think they're ruined for me. I said, you weren't scared at all? And he said, not at all. He, he saw it all coming or whatever, just completely unaffected. Whereas I had a great time not having any clue whatsoever what this movie was about. I screamed. I laughed. I beamed. I was smiling. I was so happy for them. But it was all undercut with this sense of dread. I got all the feels in Barbarian, which is so curious from being scared to being happy. So it was good. Like it was a fun, scary movie experience for you. It was a fun, scary movie experience. I was running in my bed, hiding under the covers, twisting the sheets. Like I was really, <laughs> I was physically compelled to react to this film. But everything was in service of the first 45 minutes. It was a really strange construction. I can't say that it worked, but I would have no idea where to begin to fix it. But I think in service of the first 45 minutes, it's yeah. great. So you filled up your reserve of goodwill and then slowly tapped it over the course of the rest of the movie. But it was enough. It was enough, except at one point someone gets an arm ripped off and then Barbarian rips AJ's head in half. Which, like I was like, all right, well, we're, I'm done at this point, <laughs> but I'm going to I'm going to see this through. Thankfully, so was the movie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There are interesting, deeper themes that can be probed here which is nice to go a little bit beyond the surface scares in a movie like Barbarian. So for that reason, definitely a good. Yeah, I will give it an all right rating. Eric might disagree, but I felt that there was enough. And at least even, even if it was brief or even if it didn't maintain throughout, there was enough that made it a worthwhile movie uh, of horror and dread and suspense, even though nothing happened. And there you have it, an all right from Wes, a good from Iris, that's our review on the Halloween movie that Wesley has been waiting for, Barbarian, <laughs> available on HBO Max. If you enjoyed this review, contact us, 818-835-0473 or whatevermovies at gmail.com. 
subscribe to our podcast and give us a five-star rating or 17 out of 30 if available. Follow us on social media at or whatever movies support us on Patreon. We hope you enjoyed this last minute addition to the Halloween lineup. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time. Electric Acid. Welcome to the Candle Power Hour. Come with us backstage behind the scenes of show business spanning over four decades and bringing you the experiences that can only be told by the people who were there. Our guests are from the A-list, the F-list, and everyone in between. Get set for some of the most insane, hilarious, and inspiring stories you will ever hear. I'm Mercury. And I'm Diego. Your host for the The Candle Candle Power Power Hour. Introducing the Deep Leadership Podcast. Leadership is a people business. That's the philosophy of your podcast host, John Rennie. As a former submarine officer who spent 22 years leading businesses in corporate America before starting his own manufacturing business, he knows that leadership matters. matters. Deep leadership is real-world, actionable leadership advice from John and his expert guests. Become a leader worth following. Subscribe today. Electric Acid.